May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. You are indeed. We're in our final half hour of today's program. It's been a great show, and uh, we are going to close uh, with a strong conversation uh, with John Arson uh, about the following. Eighty years ago, they soared for freedom. Eighty years ago, they soared for freedom. John Arson dives into the legacy right now of the Triple Nickels, America's pioneering black paratroopers. John Arson, good to have you on this program, sir. How are you today? All right. Thank you for having us today. Always love talking about uh, 82nd history and particularly the Triple Nickel and their uh, contribution they made. Well, let's jump right in. I only have a number of minutes and I don't want to waste any time. So tell me about the Triple Nickels. All right. So the Triple Nickels was an all-black parachute battalion that was organized in World War II. It was part of the test to show that black soldiers could actually serve in the Army and do very well. And so it started out very small as a small company, about 400 people uh, in, I'm sorry, about 120 soldiers that were all volunteers. And that's what makes the Triple Nickels unique. You had to volunteer to go to airborne school, and you had to volunteer to be in the unit. So these soldiers were highly motivated, and they had a lot of experience and a lot of great drive to be successful. And so then the Army expands them to a full battalion of about 400 later in the war in uh, November of 1944. And so they are building to get bigger and bigger and hopefully deploy overseas. They unfortunately never get to go overseas because one of the problems, if you look at the World War II Army, you had 100 divisions, but only two of them had black soldiers that could volunteer to be in this triple nickel unit. So not very many could volunteer, uh, were able to be in that pool of volunteers, so they could never get to the 400 that they needed. So the Army, though, used them for a special mission in the Pacific Northwest to help do smoke jumping, and they helped fight these Japanese incendiary bombs that came over the Pacific Northwest. Mm. How'd that name come to be, the Triple Nickels? Well, so the Triple Nickels, are all the airborne units all start in 500, mm. and so they were, their first number, they were the 555 Parachute uh, Infantry Company, and so they became known as the Triple Nickels. Of course, one of the things you have to remember is the nickel at that time was had the buffalo on it, mm-hmm. so the soldiers liked that. They tended to t- tie back to that buffalo soldier legacy, the old 9th and 10th Cavalry, and so you'll see many of the veterans and the members of their association wear three nickels all welded together, but that's how they got it. So it was triple, it was five, 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 yeah. just like three, those three nickels. Yep. Given, given, and you, you sort of teed this up already, John Arson, given uh, the... Uh, the nature of segregation then and racism, discrimination, and all that goes with that. Uh, what, what have we learned over the years about why these black men wanted to sign up to serve their nation in a moment when the nation was maltreating them in myriad ways? So, again, if you look back at those soldiers, often, um, and, you know, throughout the history of the Army, you know, black soldiers have always volunteered because, again, they still have a desire, even though they're not treated 100% fairly by the Army or by the country, they still feel the need to defend that country. And so just like these triple nickels, not only were they, some of, most of them were probably drafted, mm-hmm. but then once they got in, they started to see other ways to be successful in the Army. And so by volunteering to go to airborne school, 
which a made you you got a lot more money, you mm-hmm. got paid better. It was exciting. It was a great, you know, adrenaline junkies probably, or you know, those kind of things. And then so then they would get to serve their country. Again, it's hard because it was a segregated army, and so they were in these segregated units, and then they were limited by other policies, so they could never go and actually prove themselves on the battlefield. Um, help me understand that part. You made reference to that a couple of times, and we, I know this part of the story, but I don't know it as well as you know it, so I'm going to ask you to unpack it for me. And that is this notion of spending all this time learning a particular craft, um, learning how to to do what paratroopers do, and then never getting a chance to actually prove that, never getting a chance to, to, to serve. Um, that, that, that's got to be emotionally, psychologically, spiritually debilitating to put yourself through all of that, to sign up, to fight and defend this country when the country was maltreating you. But after all that, you don't get a chance to prove what you can do. Right. And so that's, you see the veterans talk about that. It was, you know, that was where they were hoping that they would get to go deploy and they were hoping that and go into combat. And so, and, you know, later, as you look at leaders like, uh, you know, General uh, James Gavin of the 82nd and Matthew Ridgway, also the 82nd, they had served with black soldiers in the past, so they knew they were capable. And so when you look back, these soldiers were always hoping that they would get to go into Europe and fight. They just never wore And then as they moved, got ready to leave Camp McCall here in North Carolina and go to the Pacific, they thought they were getting ready to go fight the Japanese, mm-hmm. along with a lot of the other airborne soldiers. So there was a two whole airborne divisions moving west, uh, one of them who never does fight either, they, they too were hoping to go fight the Japanese. So they don't know, the Triple Nickels never know that they were not going to go fight. But one thing you have to understand is in the Army, they still served. They just never got to go to combat. And, yeah. and that was a role that that's where you ultimately want to be as a soldier and as a leader of soldiers is to prove your mettle, so to say, in combat. They yeah. weren't given that chance, but they, you know, just like all units, it took a while to train. They yeah. did what they were supposed to uh, and what they were ordered to, but yet they they were cheated that they never got a chance to actually go and, and fight the Japanese later, yeah. uh, you know. I'm, go- I'm going back a little bit, a little bit farther, in, uh, uh, back a bit farther in history. I'm thinking now of uh, the movie Glory, uh, starring one Denzel Washington for which he won an Academy Award. The great cast: Denzel and Morgan Freeman and Matthew Broderick. Um, you all know the cast, and you've all seen that film a thousand times. And I still, I'm, uh, it hits me every time when I see that scene of Denzel being whipped and that one tear. He lets that one tear. D does. That one tear just rolls down his face. It's quite the scene with Denzel. Uh, but we know this movie, Glory, but I, I raise it because that gives us a sense of the way back then um, that black soldiers were treated or maltreated. Uh, we know they never got a chance to serve, even though they, they volunteered. Um, how were the black paratroopers, the triple nickels, treated uh, or maltreated by white soldiers in real time? So you had... You know, one of the problems that you always had is the triple nickel was primarily stationed throughout the South. Mm-hmm. So you would have the typical Jim Crow, you know, segregated uh, Jim Crow laws of being in, in Georgia, 
the Jim Crow laws of being here in North Carolina. And so you'll see things where some of the soldiers will talk about the prisoners of war were allowed in exchanges and in shops. So, you know, the German and Italian prisoners might be in a work camp, and they could go into a local store out here in the in the fields of North Carolina. Meanwhile, as a black paratrooper serving your country, you weren't allowed to go in that same store because it was white only. Mm -hmm. And so those are some of those treatment and mistreatment that they got to see. But as you talked about with the glory and the 54th Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. the soldiers wanted to fight for the country because it was flawed though it is, it was the best thing that they thought and so that's why they yes. wanted to fight for it. We're talking with John Arson uh, about the legacy of the Triple Nickels. You're listening to John Arson right now on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis, Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Hey, John, I wonder all these years later what, uh, to your mind, the legacy is of these triple nickels, given that, uh, again, so many of them never really had a chance to, chance to serve, even as they volunteered and prepared to go fight. It didn't quite work out that way. They weren't deployed. So all that said, um, why are we still talking about them all these years later? What is their enduring legacy? So I think their enduring legacy was they were able to prove to an army that black soldiers were capable. And particularly in the airborne community, that ability to to volunteer and jump out of an airplane, they demonstrated that that wasn't bound by race. Bravery and and tenacity isn't isn't bound by your race. It's bound by your heart. And so they proved that they had the heart to serve. And then they come here to the 82nd at the end of the war, and they help integrate the whole army and they, particularly this 82nd Airborne Division, we become one of the first units to integrate black soldiers. But again, they bring that, the fact that they've already conquered their fears jumping out of an airplane. And so that's a great leveler, because not everyone can graduate from that. And they just prove that black soldiers could do it just like any other soldier who has the, you know, that tenacity. And then, so they they kind of broke down the wall and showed that they were capable. And that's why we still talk to them this day. That's why when you look back in the 1948 division, there's almost 2,000 soldiers that are black in the division because this little battalion of 400 come here and the leaders are willing to accept them and see them as soldiers and not black soldiers. Mm-hmm. What do we know about what do we know about those uh, those black paratroopers, those members of the triple nickel, who did get a chance to be deployed? Um, so, so they later met some of the black paratroopers get go to the Korean War as mm-hmm. black rangers, and they serve great. Uh, we also have, you know, along with the triple nickels in '48, when we had our some my majority black units show up here, some of those soldiers that actually had combat experience in segregated uh, tank units, segregated field artillery units, segregated anti-aircraft. And so they brought combat experience and then uh, to this, you know, here to this division, and then they bring being a paratrooper. They get to wear that beret, that ten, those boots, all that stuff that makes people stop a soldier today in the airport and talk about what do you do and and what's important. And so these guys got the chance to do that. And these soldiers are successful 
and they really uh, do really well. I wonder. Um, I, I wonder, and I want to ask this when we come forward in our remaining moments with uh, with John Arson, whether or not there's a through line that he can see or can draw for us from the courage of these black paratroopers, the courage uh, and the legacy of these triple nickels to anything that we have seen uh, in our lifetimes. Uh, I don't know what the answer to that question is, but if they were as courageous as they were, they trained in the way that they did, they were prepared to go into battle, they proved that black folk could do the same thing that white folk can do, uh, black soldiers uh, as good as white soldiers. Um, we know the legacy. I'm just trying to figure out if there's a through line. What came of that courage? Did it open doors? Did it open up progressive possibilities uh, for other black soldiers to do other things uh, in the years to come, uh, years ahead, I should say? We'll get, uh, we'll get to that with John Arson when we come forward in our remaining moments with him before we close today's program. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like freedom. Sounds different, huh? This is Tavis Smiley. So, John Arson, uh, what is uh, the through line from the courage of these black paratroopers to triple nickels to 2024 as we sit for this conversation? So, again, I think that through line is... is the triple nickels create this pool of people through, if you looked even all the way to our last division sergeant major, sergeant major David Pitts, and look back and trace him back, there'll be a mentors that were mentored by other people. And so the triple nickel showed, you know, with their thousand, you know, almost 2,000 people that were in the division, that it was possible to be a paratrooper, and they got to sh- show other people who then join the Army, who then go forward and keep building upon that legacy. Again, the Triple Nickel got a chance to march in the Victory Parade in New York City. Imagine if you were in New York City in 1946 and you saw 400 black paratroopers walk down Fifth Avenue. Mm-hmm. It would inspire many more. And even Bradley Biggs, who was one of their officers, he was inspired by those Harlem Hellfighters. So those World War I soldiers inspired him to then come and join the Army, and then he took that courage, volunteered for Airborne, and came here. And so then he goes on and inspires others. And then what does the 82nd and the Army and the American people get out of that? Roscoe Robbins, one of our commanders, uh, and what he brings in that leadership and his understanding. Roscoe then brings women into the 82nd Airborne Division. You get David Pitts, who helps bring even more soldiers and helps make sure they understand the mentorship. And particularly now, as we're challenged with trying to get people to join the Army, you have to see it to understand that you can be part of that. And so they allowed that to happen. Nope. I am delighted to have had you on this program to talk about the Triple Nichols, uh, the uh, the pioneering uh, uh, black paratroopers regiment. Uh, and uh, I said earlier that we're not even in uh, February yet, Black History Month, but uh, we do black history every day around here. So uh, no time like the present to learn more about our history. So, John Arson, thank you for your 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 um, your sharing that with us uh, in this conversation. I deeply appreciate it and wish you nothing but the best for the rest of the year. sir. thank you for your time. All right. Thank you very much, Davis. We enjoyed it. And, and uh, again, to our public, thank you for the support and thank you for being able to tell the story of of these black paratroopers in the 82nd Airborne Division. My great honor. I, I appreciate your dedication to telling the story. So thank you once again, John Arson.